Hello and welcome to the SEO SAS podcast where your hosts are myself, Sarah McDowell, SEO specialist at LikeMind Media and the wonderful, charismatic, beautiful, just lovely, lovely lady, Hannah Bryce, SEO manager at Holland and Barrett. Why are we called SEO SAS? Well, that is a very good question. We like to think of ourselves as your special answering service when it comes to SEO. Me and Hannah are nerds on the subject and we love nothing more than spending our spare time talking, debating, reading up on latest in the industry, inviting other guests to come and talk to us about different subjects around SEO. And we wanted to get this information all together, put it on a podcast present it to you guys and our goal is to make SEO more accessible and fun for everyone. This show is brought to you by the team at LikeMind Media. LikeMind Media help clients find their audience and start having conversations with them whether that's on social media, content or even podcasts just like this one. We're actually using their podcasting equipment right now. They're super lovely people who take time to understand your business and think like Thanks Hannah. Now, you may notice that there is a missing voice on today's podcast. Unfortunately, Hannah cannot join us for this week's episode. However, I have an amazing guest lined up for you. I am very happy to welcome to the show Lizianne Dong, who is a lecturer at Pearson College London teaching digital and social marketing and client success manager at Search Metrics, a tool that helps you better your SEO and content efforts. So welcome to the show, Lizianne. Hello, thank you very much, Sarah. I like the nice introduction. So I'm really pleased to, to join you for today session. I have to say I am pretty jealous that um, you you're originally from France because I've been there a couple of times and I do think it's a beautiful place. Yes it's a beautiful that that's really the thing with France where uh, we can have different environments when you go from north south or west and I'm currently in France in southwest even though I, I, I live in London so I'm just enjoying the the summer here so yes. Beautiful. Whenever I think of France, I always think of really good red wine. Are you a red wine drinker? Yes, definitely. I'm in the red wine. I'm a red wine drinker and I'm currently, I live in Pau near Biarritz and not far from Bordeaux. So for me, when I come back to France, I do drink a lot of red wine. Yes, definitely. And I've heard Bordeaux is a good grape, isn't it, for wine? Yes, exactly. That's a nice one. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) How are you doing? How is the current situation? How are you finding lockdown? Is it the same in France as it is in the UK? So at the moment, so first of all, it was it was good. It went well. So I've spent the, the first uh, three months in London. So I had a lockdown in London, but we are fortunate, fortunate that in London, the weather was nice at that time and we could go to the gym, but in, uh, not to the gym, we could go to the park. But yes. in France, it was really strict where it was a, uh, total lockdown where they couldn't go out and now it's totally open bars are open restaurants are open so for me it's, it's, it's really uh, pleasant for me to be in France now yeah it sounds it does sound like things are getting back to normal then 
I am looking forward to that in the UK because obviously the UK is opening more and more up and things are getting a bit more to normality. So I can't, I just can't wait for a bit of normality, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, no, definitely for me. And I can see that even the mood when you, you go to the street, I can see that people are happier. Yeah. Uh, they have a smile. People are sitting outside for drinks. So it's a new normal, but people, yeah, are a little more yeah happier i would say no one will be sitting outside i don't know what the weather is like in france at the moment but it is dreadful in the uk today it is wet dreary we had some sunshine and now it's gone sorry (laughs) to hear that for us it's sunny oh i don't want to hear that otherwise i want to come over to france awesome right then so we have got you on today to talk about content and data and how you can use data to better your content and seo efforts however before we get into the meaty sort of subject of this podcast i think what a good place to start is for our audience to get to know you a little better so how do you feel about a quick fire round questions scenario yes definitely let's go okay so quick answers please starting with texting or talking 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 a lot on a scale of one to ten how good are you at keeping secrets nine say a word in french bonjour winter or summer summer definitely what sound does a seal make? I'm really bad in making sound, but I will try. <laughs> I'm really bad. <laughs> Next question. Last, last place you went on holiday? Outside France is Greece. Beautiful. What are you missing most in lockdown? Meeting friends, socializing. Yeah. Alternative to what SEO stands for? Oh, good question. So SEO is about um, solving consumer problem and supporting the consumer needs, providing them information. Dresses or trousers? Dresses. Favorite smell? I like musk as a smell. Yeah, musk. Musk. I was yeah. not expecting you to say that because people usually say like uh, smell of freshly cut grass or when, ba- uh, when bread is baking. I was not expecting you to say musk. That's a good Yes, one. yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely feel like I know you a little better now. I think now what would be awesome is if we sort of moved on to knowing more more about you when it comes to sort of your career and your work so could you tell me and our listeners a brief overview of yourself and how you got into the industry so for me I had I have more than six years in digital marketing I really started my my career as an analyst I work in PPC Uh, I really had the chance to have work in different uh, channels but still into client management uh, role and at some point I also had my my own business or had some entrepreneurial adventure I would say for a few years and now I work in in search metrics uh, still within uh, the client uh, management side where I'm client success manager and I support a client in getting the best from data to actually uh, improve their performance in digital marketing by focusing on SEO and content marketing. So you sort of answered my second question there because obviously I introduced you as being client success manager at Search Metrics. So I was going to ask what, what your job involves, but you've sort of already done that. So I suppose a different question would be what do you most enjoy about your role at Search Metrics? 
What I really enjoy is to helping clients, so helping clients succeed, helping clients having good performance within their, their marketing, within the SEO, and also the, the, big, the big joy for me where is when we work together on different goals and then at the end they achieve their goals. So for me, that, that's really what I like, seeing someone else succeed. Going back to earlier then, with you having your own business, what was your own business? It was an e-commerce. So I've created an e-commerce when I was selling and crafted goods, um, built, created by a different um, artisans in Africa. So ah. I had this business for three years and, uh, and then I decided to change. So that business is, is no longer? No, it, it, it's no longer since the beginning of the year, straight uh, during the COVID period. And yeah. So would you say you're, you're quite arty then? Yes, I, I love design. I love fashions. I really love creativity, even though it's not something that I do every day, but that's really something that I, I really love. With SEO, there is a place to be creative in SEO because obviously content, and we're going to go more into this later later on, but to be successful with content, you need to think of ways to be different to, your, to what's already ranking out there. So I do think with SEO, people sort of forget about the creative side. Yes, I definitely agree with you because as, as we say, so when you look at content, there is definitely the data part, the creativity is about the wording, the tone that you're going to use on your, within your content and also the type, the format of your content, yeah. where that's where you have whether it's images, videos. So, so definitely there is a creativity within the content yeah. creation. So you need both, don't you? You need your mm. data and you need your metrics and your insights, but then you also need the creativityness. Search metrics then. For people who have never heard about this tool, because I, I did say at the beginning of the podcast that search metrics is a tool that helps you better your SEO and content efforts. But could you sort of go more into search metrics and maybe give three standout features or um, things that you really love about search metrics and USP so what can search metrics do that other tools can't because obviously with SEO there's loads of tools out there isn't there so what makes search metrics different so this, first of all, SearchMetrics is an all-in-one platform where you can you have one power. You can create content, allow you to create content, uh, do keyword tracking, but also uh, being able to look at your competitor analysis. And also at the same time, you can do the technical part within one platform. Already, that's something that is really, uh, really unique uh, compared to most of the platform. And at the same time as well is behind that you really have people like me where you have a large expert uh, working behind the scene, whether it's working with client directly on a daily basis as a client success manager. We also have a consultant that really help clients uh, more in a, at a deeper level. And we also are able to share our knowledge within the industry because we have a lot of experts um, in the industry. And what would you say makes search metrics different? So, yeah, what, what makes it different to the other tools out there? So if someone was umming and ahhing that, about which tool to get, what, why, why search metrics? So from my client's uh, point of view, is it's about the fact that we provide data and insight which are accurate, 
and also the fact that our data can be used for not only for the SEO, but also for content creation and also other marketing activities. So it's not only focusing on the SEO part and also the fact that it's one platform in one because a lot of our clients really enjoy the fact that you have one platform where uh, that enable different member of the team working together in one tool. So with that one tool, you will have the SEO team, the technical team working in the same platform and also the copywriter working in one platform. So client really uh, um, enjoy uh, this part. Awesome. So it's just one tool which, and you can do pretty much everything with it. Moving on then from search metrics. So alongside working at search metrics, you also are a lecturer at Pearson College in London, teaching digital and social marketing. I mean, how do you find time to do both? Does search metrics allow flexibility or are you just so passionate that you find time? I'm, I'm, I'm passionate because I find a time and also uh, I'm fortunate to be a, com- a company which allow me to do something that I'm passionate about outside of my, my work. So I find time and I also sometimes I also have some flexibility from search metrics because I understand the fact that as an employee, I need to be able to, to have a passion as well. Yes, yeah. definitely. I suppose it's a bit like my boss with like my media. He knows one of my passions is to talk a lot and have a podcast. (laughs) Exactly. He gives me the flexibility to do that. And he's very supportive as well. Awesome. So what do you like most about teaching? I like most is sharing my knowledge. I'm really someone who really enjoys sharing my knowledge and seeing the change in someone's behavior, knowledge, learning is really something that I enjoy. And that's the reason why as well I'm today client success manager because sharing my knowledge that might impact someone uh, thinking and experience that's something that I really love and yeah yes and I do love that about the SEO industry because when I first got into SEO it was really nice about especially on Twitter is that the community loves to help one another And the only way that you're going to get better is by sharing experiences, talking to other people. And so I love that about the SEO community, that everyone's so helpful and everyone loves to help each other out. Yes, and that's something that I, I really, I, I'm, I, I'm like you because I, I've actually joined the SEO community recently and, and I've been amazed to see the level, the spirit, the, yeah, and it's, it's a whole community when I can see everybody's helping one another and I can see it as well, the, the community is it's small enough so that they know one another. So I, I really love, 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 love the, the SEO community. What is your favorite part of the course to teach? Uh, I really like uh, the part when we talk about the strategy, but also something that I emphasize is the digital transformation is to see how important for businesses to digitally transform their their company. And we realize Mm. it's not that easy uh, for company to go from totally offline to being digital or having a a small level of digitalization and then increase that. So that's that's the part that I find interesting because that's what I do as well every day Mm -hmm. when I try to help client to get more, for example, more time for SEO, more budget for SEO and see how SEO can help their company. So really this digital transformation I like and for the student it's new. So yeah, I really enjoyed this part. Would you agree that with the current COVID and pandemic situation that more businesses have been forced to go online and become digital? 
Yes, yes, yes. And we've seen a lot. So some people, uh, some company were agile enough to switch uh, very quickly, but for other uh, it was more difficult because you realize that to be to do a transformation, you need a lot of resources, time, and some company regret regretted a little bit not having done it earlier. So <laughs> it was really really interesting to see the difference. Yeah, I suppose for some businesses, then it's been a bit of like a, a kick up the bum. <laughs> I suppose because they probably knew that they should do this one day and sometimes like you just need a a really good reason to do something so I suppose a positive I mean it's weird to say positive and COVID in the same sentence because obviously it's an awful thing that's happening but I suppose a positive out of this situation because I always like to think positively you know you know uh cup mm-hmm. half full and all that and uh, maybe it's given the bus- some businesses that push to get online and become digital yes and i think i think it's a positive push even though we know that there there was some negative impact but i think it's a positive that a lot of people realize what is the future yes and and i think we need to to be aware of that that most of the job will be within the digital uh, environment so therefore for them it was like a how do you, how you say, a big call to say you have to be online, you have to use technology. So I think that's a good, the good, um, the good push, I would say. Yes, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's think positively. So we met at Brighton SEO and that was last, the last Brighton SEO. Is that right? I mean, yes. Yeah. So would you say, and obviously we met and that's where we became connections on LinkedIn and, and yeah, and that's how it all happened about you coming on the podcast today. But would you say that Brighton SEO is one of your favorite SEO conferences? Yes, uh, so definitely. So first of all, as I said, it's a, it's a monk. I haven't visited that many SEO conferences. However, I go to a lot of conferences within the general digital marketing uh, area. But I can see that as a, pl- as, a, as a conference, it's really good because you can see the passion of people. You can see people are friendly. You can see how people are sharing their expertise and also everybody's really professional so it's really a very good conference uh, i would say and the way Mm. it's organized and also the participants so i really really enjoyed um taking part yes it's one of my favorite ones and and i think because it's got such a good reputation as well it just ups its own game every year so i always come back from brighton seo buzzing full of ideas and a massive to-do list that i don't even get around to touching most of the time yes Um, but but the thought is there the thought is there so when we bumped into each other at Brighton SEO we sort of discussed what you would like to come on to talk about on the podcast and you seem very passionate about how people can use data to better their content efforts and and yeah and creating content that better performs in in search results and search engines like Google. So I want to first talk about creating content. So, because obviously with data, data can be used sort of two different ways. So you can use data to help you create the content and then you can use the data to help optimize content. So let's first talk about how you can use search data to create content. 
So uh, first of all, to, to, to using search data is to really use all the data you have available about your audience, whether it is based on the target audience or your target audience in terms of what type of queries they are searching, what kind of keyword they are searching. So use data, this data, you will be able to see what people need. And also you can use data by looking at the competitors uh, and at the same time looking at information like the keyword that your competitor are using, all the different topics your competitor are using, and also looking at the trends in terms of topic, uh, whether it's seasonality or the specific topic uh, in terms of search volume. Once you have built this information, you can then make sure that you create content based on what your target audience needs. So obviously you can learn a lot from your competitors and what they're doing well and you can sort of decide okay what do you want to go after what should I go after as a business but how else can you use data to identify other relevant topics? So in terms of other relevant topic is to really look at, first of all, let's say you start with a specific uh, topic and then you want to look at the search volume of this topic. Therefore, the interest that people have for a specific topic, because you know that based on a more general topic, like um, let's say garden, let's say garden within the garden you have a small uh, small subcategory so you have to make sure that what kind of specific topic people have interest for is it more for table for garden or is it more for gardening itself so you have to make sure that what interests people within the subcategory once you have this you also need to make sure that you pick the, the based on the topic you look at the seasonality to make sure that you publish content you create content which is relevant for a specific period of the year and also making sure that you actually uh, write about the right keyword because Mm. when you look at the general topic you need to make sure that you pick the right uh, keyword that you will discuss within your content and picking upon a point about seasonality I think that is really key because if you are talking about about the right topic at the right time then you're going to be better or your results are going to be better aren't you because if you can identify topics that are trending during certain times of the year you can better sort of plan content so then you're not sort of playing catch-up because I'm guessing there's a lot of businesses who are a little bit late to the game do you know what I mean so Mm. yeah so I suppose with data you can get ahead of the game and Mm. get ahead of your competition and make sure okay I know that this is coming up and um, we know from previous data that this has been a really popular subject around winter time so I need to make sure that there's content sat on the website already for that. Exactly. And planning ahead and also making sure that within a more general topic, you might have different seasonality based on the subcategory. So really making sure that you, you, you really take into account yes. the, the, the subject, the topic as a whole, and then scaling down. Okay. And I suppose, because obviously when we're talking about content, content is, it, we're not just talking about articles or blogs on your website. Content can mean anything really so I suppose there's ways that you can use data to identify the right type of content yeah so in terms of right type of content something that is really important to look at is the search intent because yes the search intent is key to see what's the type of content people want. So I'm sure you're familiar with the top three search intent, which are informational, navigational, transactional. Once yes. you, you are aware of the search intent of your of the consumer, you can then plan 
the type of content accordingly. For example, when people, when someone is looking for information, so the type of content that, that might be a little bit more relevant is to create content around guide, providing people guidance, uh, tutorial, yes. tips, because you know that the search intent is to get information. But if someone is into the purchase, is want to buy something based on the keyword that someone will type, which will be more a little bit on the, um, the lower end of the, um, of the funnel. It's better to make sure that what you create, it's uh, about product page details. Mm. So you make sure that when you send someone to your website, it lands on the product page instead of within an article on your blog, you know? So you have to make sure that you are really thinking about the type of content. Yes, and I suppose even, so obviously when we talk about intent, there are your sort of higher levels. So you've got your transactional, informational or directional, but I suppose even within those three, you've got other sort of subcategories within that. So I suppose you can use data. Um, So say if it's a how-to, for example, you might be better having a video um Mm -hmm. the answers because having a video how to might be easier to digest or you could identify review so maybe there's an intent where there's someone's sort of in the middle of the purchasing journey and they're just sort of figuring out okay which company do I use so then that's where you want to be writing reviews and stuff so I suppose you can't just sort of put your finger in the air and think, oh, I think I know what sort of content I need to be writing about. You need to know. And that's how data can help you. Exactly. I think you, you gave a very good uh, point when you say you can't. And I think what I realize is a lot in the industry, and I can see with some of my clients as well, we tend to feel like, okay, we just stick with let's put images or video and then we don't think about exactly what's the relevancy for the client for the consumer and the type of content and for me is to make sure that we match what the consumer want and the type of content we create exactly exactly and then you've also got to uh, have in mind that people consume content in different ways so mm-hmm. some people like a lengthy article or words that they can like get stuck into whereas other people just want to skim or get like the few points that they need so yeah I suppose you can yeah you need to when you're writing about content you need to have all those things in mind so it's not easy is it <laughs> No, it's hard, especially there is not a clear cut. You know, you can't say, obviously, what what, what I'm saying is just guidelines. uh, guidance. Obviously, you will always have something in the middle uh, that doesn't land in a specific category or, but it's good to take the habit of taking content, looking at data to make sure that we try to, to, to fit the, the consumer requirement yeah yes and obviously um and it helps you make sure like your earlier point that if some if it is a transactional keyword so someone is typing in a keyword with the intent to buy something you are sending someone to a landing page a product page where there's a a clear strong call to action and there's reviews on that page so it Mm. makes the buying journey a lot easier um so yeah intent and I I do think people forget about intent Mm. so yes okay I feel like we could just carry on (laughs) talking (laughs) about this area but uh, just mindful of time because I do want to talk about using data to optimize content could you give our listeners three top tips on optimizing content 
Yep. So optimizing content is, first of all, looking at the most important content for you to optimize, because sometimes when we go to a project of uh, optimizing content, we try to look at everything. So using data to see what content, uh, what page or what URL is the most relevant for me based on the keyword ranking, based on the search volume or the specific page. Once you spot the, spa the page which is the most relevant, then you look at the main topic of the, the actual page, you look at, okay, if the main topic is garden, uh, for example, you would then do the same process of looking at the competitors within this topic, looking at the, what the consumer want and looking at what's the seasonality. And then you will either do it manually or use platform like at Searchmetrics. What we do, we allow you to check the, the existing content to see whether they are aligned with the need of the consumer or whether they are what we call SEO friendly. So select the right page or content to optimize, go to the process of checking the consumer need, the competitors and the search intent, and then analyze whether your actual content fits data, content driven data. Yeah. And would you say that there are common mistakes that people make when optimizing content? So obviously with <laughs> SEO, I think it's not always a one size fits all, is it? And it's different depending on your industry, your business, your website sort of thing. But are there any sort of common themes or, of mistakes that people make? I think from my, my opinion, based on when I work with my client, the, the main thing that happened is not having the copywriter working closely with the SEO team. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. I think that's the mistake, I would say, because if they had the possibility to work all together, they would just share knowledge, share data, everything would be simple. That's the reason why I search metrics. We really the, the, the platform that allow SEO team, tech team to work with copywriter and then make quality content. Yes, yes, because you need to, because uh, I imagine uh, what happens in a lot of companies or something that that content gets written and then afterwards it's like, oh, can you SEO it? And mm -hmm. it's a little bit like, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> SEO, and we, and we talk about this a lot in the podcast that like SEO should be interwined in everything that you're doing so before the content is even planned or an idea you should be using data and using seo research to understand what people are searching for the intent because if you've got the data right and you understand what content is needed to fulfill that purpose then that copywriter is going to be better at writing the content Exactly. And I really love when you say SEO it. Can you say again? I find this one uh, funny what you say. Yes. What, because like, SEO. Here, yeah. Here, here's a blog. SEO it. Here's a web page. Yeah. SEO it. It's like, no. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's, that's the mistake. <laughs> All right then. Well, I've got a few more questions for you. And then it's my favorite part of the podcast, which is the feature, which I have warned you about, but do not mm -hmm. fail because it's just a bit of fun. Who, so yes, last few questions then. Who has inspired you most in your career? What would I inspire most? A lot of people have inspired me, but I suppose a um, few years ago, there was Sherry Sunbird at this tech talk that she, she launched, I don't know, I, I think it was seven, eight years ago. I think it changed my perspective as a woman and the importance for me to really put myself 
forward, I would say. Three people to follow on either LinkedIn or Twitter. Oh, good question. So I, I follow Arich. Uh, she's really active yes. and very, very insightful. And recently I, I met online Azim. Uh, yes. so maybe the pronunciation is not really good. And then I also follow uh, the news. Uh, I like following the news, uh, yes. like BBC on, on Twitter, just to have uh, hot news, I would say. So, yeah. So we, um, it's, it's funny because we've had, uh, Arid has been a, pe- uh, a previous guest on the show. We've got Azim lined up. <laughs> so, Ooh. I know, I know, but uh, Arid is awesome. Like she's doing some amazing things in the industry. And are you part of the Women in Tech SEO? Yes, I oh, am. I, yes. I'm into the, the profile uh, that she's creating, which is amazing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think she's doing an amazing job. Yeah. Yes. Big love to Arid. Big love. Okay, so this might be a bit of a hard question for you because obviously search metrics is going to be one of your favorite tools, but can you give us another tool that you can't live without? Another tool that I really like and I find powerful is Google Analytics. So for me, yeah, Google Analytics is it's very important tools for many reasons. Yeah. Yes, and I, I do think that people sort of forget about the free tools that Google give. Not that they forget about it, but they like, for, for example, Google Analytics, there's so much data and you can, you can really delve into stuff with that, can't you? And the same with Google Search Console. Exactly. And, and it's still, I still see Google Analytics like the base, you know, something that you need to connect with all the different tools to have a bigger picture, to have uh, data about your web traffic. So yeah, I feel like it's a very, uh, it's an amazing tool. Yes. Yes. I have to agree. I have to agree. Okay. Last question then. And I'm uh, switching roles for the last question. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, wow. So any question for you? Be nice. Be nice. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. So yeah, yeah, a good question for you is what um, doing the postcard bring you the most personally and professionally? Personally and professionally. Okay. So personally, I am, I would say that I'm more of a social person and I love being around people and having conversations with other people. So this podcast is amazing because I get to have so many wonderful different conversations with so many different people, including yourself. And it's just an amazing platform to to have an excuse to talk to people. (laughs) So personally, that's what I get out of it. Professionally is I learn so much. Because, mm. um, because with SEO, you sort of you sort of specialise, don't you? So um, you get you people who sort of delve more into the tech side. You get people that delve more into the content side. You get mm-hmm. people who sort of specialise in the link building side. So what I love from a professional point of view is that, um, especially with tech, because. I, I I wish that I could do more technical SEO. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that if I could learn something or if I had the time to, I'd probably get into that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, I, I learn from every conversation that I have with a guest. I always feel like I come away with something or I learn mm-hmm. something or I have a different way of thinking about something. So mm-hmm. I feel like it helps me become a better SEOer. 
Oh, very good. So I can see that you, you, you find your sweet spot and you're really doing something that you are passionate about and you give back some knowledge to people and it brings you something. That's beautiful. Thank yes. you. And, and I suppose it's a bit like, so when I asked you about uh, what you like most about teaching, you said about sharing and teaching and educating people. I suppose that's the same with the podcast because getting, so obviously me and Hannah, uh, we've had our, we share our experience and knowledge at working at the different places that mm. we've worked at. And yeah, and me and Hannah have different points of view and different skill sets and what have you. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously getting other people on, yeah, it just sort of, broadens the horizons of what we can teach other people because at the end of the day we we want to make seo fun and more accessible and mm-hmm. and yeah and we hope that we're doing it with the podcast you are doing so thank you very much lovely okay so lizzie are mm-hmm. you ready for the feature Yes, I hope you will be nice. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you said earlier on the podcast about um, you enjoying fashion. Mm -hmm. So I have a little fashion quiz for you. Wow. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So I have eight questions. Mm -hmm. All of them are multiple choice, except for the last one at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. making it a bit harder. So yes, I'm just going to quiz you on your fashion and we'll see how well you do. Oh, wow. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Okay. First question. What year was the bikini invented? Was it 1913, 1999, 1946 or 1970? I'm afraid that's not the answer I was looking for. Oh, no. What's the answer? Oh, la, la. 1946. Oh, I thought about this one and I was hesitant. Okay, perfect. So, and I've got a bit of the trivia. So, after World War II... Material rationing was still at an all-time high and the French engineer, Louis Riard, mm-hmm. is that how you say that? Louis Riard, oui, Louis Riard, yeah. Thank you. Introduced the bikini, named after the Bikini Atoll, a place where post-war atomic bomb testing happened. So there you go. Wow, it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> Second question. Who is not a previous editor-in-chief of American Vogue. So not a previous editor. So Mm -hmm. we've got Diana Vreeland, Mm -hmm. Anna Wintour, Mm -hmm. Grace Mibella, Mm -hmm. or Alexandra Schulman. Alexandra Schulman. Yes! Ah, good. Yes, uh, this one I knew the answer. Okay, good. So this one was a bit of a tricky one because um, she does have connections with the Vogue name because she was the editor-in-chief at British Vogue until 2017. Mm. So I nearly, I tried to catch her out, but you weren't having it. (laughs) Yes. Okay, third question. Which fashion house was founded first? Was it Dior, Givenchy, can never pronounce this one, uh, St. Lauren, how do you say the first bit? Yves Yves Saint Laurent. You should be the quiz master here. (laughs) You make it sound so beautiful and I'm just butchering it. Or Prada. Which one was first, you said, created first? 
So Dior Givenchy, Vie Saint Laurent. Dior, I would say Dior. No, the answer I was looking for was Prada. Prada, okay, okay, I thought it was Dior, okay. So, Good. I mean, I, I'm getting, um, where did I get this quiz from? BuzzFeed. So, I mean, okay. BuzzFeed says it's okay. Prada. That's, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four. Who is credited with the invention of the wrap dress? Is it Diane von Furstenberg, Zach Posen, Michael Kors, or Tommy Hilfiger? Diane von, I don't know how to pronounce, Diane von der Burst. Yes, that yes. is correct. Did you know that one? Yes, I knew that one, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I don't know what that noise was. Let's move on. Okay, question number five. When was New York Fashion Week founded? Was it 1920, 1974, 1943 or 1977? Wow. Uh, this is a hard one. I would just guess. Do you mind to say again? Yes. The, yeah. 1920, 1974, 1943 or 1977? I would say 1943. Yes. Ah, cool. Uh, cool, cool, you're, cool, you're, cool. You're bringing it back. You're bringing okay. it back. Okay. Good. Uh, question number six. What year was the denim jean created? Was it 1900? 1873, 1690, or 1785? Mm, I would say, say oh, that's hard. <laughs> I would say I can see that it was in the, it was, it was the past century, but that's the only thing I, I could say. I need I, I a don't bit know. closer. I need a bit more of a, a stricter answer. Uh, say again the, the options, please. Sorry. 1900. 1873, 1690, or 1785? 1870s. 1873? Yes. Yes! Ah, yes, I know it was the one, the 18... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Do you want cool. to name a fun fact? No, yes, of course. <laughs> You're going to say no then. <laughs> uh, jeans are named after the city of Genoa in Italy, a place oh. where cotton corduroy was manufactured oh i didn't know okay there you go they, Good to know. next time you're at a dinner party you can whack that fact out can't you yes exactly <laughs> number six who is famous for the following quote i like my money right where i can see it hanging in my closet would you agree with that quote no, I, I, do, I do not agree, but I could understand when someone like is in, yeah, is into fashion, is passionate. I could understand. They want to see it. But anyway, yeah. so was it Fran Fine, Andy Sachs or Satch, Carrie Bradshaw or Cookie Lion, Leon? Cookie Leon? Cookie Leon. Uh, Carrie Bradshaw, probably. Yes. yes, yeah, it's a Carrie Bradshaw uh, type of thinking yeah <laughs> yeah so she said it to justify her closet full of gorgeous designer pieces mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i don't know how you feel but i do think you can spend too much money on some clothes can't you no i think you need to to find a balance a good balance <laughs> yes <laughs> good balance. 
Okay, last two questions then. And you're doing, so how many have you got right so far? So out of six, you've got one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. So I'd be pretty happy with that. Okay, who designed Jackie Kennedy's iconic wedding gown? Was it okay. Patrick, Patrick Kelly, Wesley Tan, Anne Lowe or Brion? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I would let you answer for me because I don't have a clue. <laughs> you don't even want to just guess. Uh, I would say you say you say Jacqueline. Jackie Kennedy's iconic wedding gown. I mean, I'm going to have to Google Jackie Kennedy's wedding gown because I wonder why it was iconic. So say again the name, so maybe I will just try to, to guess. Patrick Kelly, Wesley Tan, Anne Lowe, or Brian? I would say Anna Lowe. I just say, yeah, by guessing. Yes. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm lucky then. lucky or you just you you know fashion you just know it subconsciously you're that good (laughs) um and i've got a bit of information about this one so anne lowe is commonly known as the first internationally recognized african-american fashion designer Mm, there you go i mean i come with the facts as well That's good. Good squeezing because sometimes I don't give you the fact behind. So that's good. There you go. I, 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 I like to please. I like to please. Okay. Last question. And this isn't a multiple choice, unfortunately. Who designed Kate Middleton's wedding dress? McCartney. Stella McCartney. See, I don't have that. I have. Oh, what do you what do you have? Oh, Alexander maybe Alexander McQueen. Um, yes, of course. I was thinking about Alexander McQueen. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, can I start again? Alexander McQueen. Oh, yes, I was thinking. Oh, oh I yes, don't know I was. what to do. I don't no, know no, 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 no. No, I was, You know, when you think about something and you say another, I know it was a British and oh, yes. But you can put me wrong. But I was thinking about my Queen. I was so <laughs> confident on, in my answer. And, I have that it was Sarah Burton at Alexander McQueen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, how many did you say? So there were eight questions and you got one, two, three, four, five, six. So you got more wrong than you did right. No, okay. sorry. Other way around. <laughs> you yes, got more I'll, I'll right than you got wrong. I yeah. don't know what's wrong with me. My brain, my brain is melting. So yes, you won. Thank well you. Done. I'm happy. There you go. There you go. Well, unfortunately, I'm sad to say that brings us to the end of this week's SEO SES podcast, but I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on and chatting to you. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. If people want to find you, get in contact with you or find more about search metrics, how can they do that? So you could um, connect with me um, on LinkedIn. Um, happy to to stay in touch or you can also uh, visit uh, searchmetrics uh, website at searchmetrics.com
Awesome. And what I'll do in the show notes is I'll um, find links to um, your LinkedIn and search metrics and stuff, and I'll make sure that I'll include them. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can do by going old fashioned and well, not old fashioned, but the more traditional approach and send us an email. So we are hello at seosaspodcast.com. You can reach us on Twitter. We are SEO underscore SAS. Me and Hannah are personally both on Twitter. I am Sarah MCD UK. That spells Sarah McDuck. And Hannah is SEO SAS Hannah. Uh, we're both on LinkedIn. And I believe that's everywhere that you can find us. Um, and then if you are, if you do enjoy our podcast and you aren't already, please do subscribe because that helps us and the algorithm and all that and all that jazz. And if you're feeling more generous then we'd love a review because it makes our day and makes us smile so i think that's it so shall we say goodbye yes thank you very much it was really a pleasure to be here with you and thanking thank you for inviting me it has been a pleasure nothing left to do but say goodbye and stay safe everyone until next time bye